great Colosseum in Rome opened in the year 80 by Emperor Titus with 100 days of games, including gladiatorial combats and wild animal fights. Throughout its gruesome history, thousands died, and some speculate martyrs for Christ. It would have been hard to imagine during such a dark time that there would ever be justice for those that perished. Yet today, in the ruins of what is left of this once great structure, when you walk through the emperor's entrance at the gate, a small, inconspicuous cross is situated just above. And when you think about it, it symbolizes that even when all seems hopeless, there is light just beyond the horizon. Perhaps you've been there, that moment when all seemed hopeless. You're about to throw in the towel, throw up your hands, darkness was all around you, but then God shed his light in on you. It's always darkest before the dawn. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. There are times when it appears as though all hope is lost. And this week, Charles Tapp continues with the 14th and final part in his series, Christ First, a journey through the book of Revelation, and reveals that in the midst of some of the most dramatic events that unfold, there is justice and hope on the horizon. With his message, Darkest Before the Dawn. I want to begin our message today by revisiting a passage that I shared with you a few weeks ago from Revelation chapter 4, and I want us to read verses 6 to 8. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. Some translations render ox. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Verse 8. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. When I was reading that early this week, the thing that came to my mind was it reminded me of a scene from Isaac Osimo's science fiction novels. Any science fiction folk in here when you were a kid? You know Isaac Osimo very well. Well, it is here in John's vision that we are introduced for the very first time as he refers to four living creatures. And although we are not told specifically who they are, we are given some insights into their purpose based on the visual description that has been provided. First of all, he says that these are angelic-like beings, each having six wings, full of eyes in the front, full of eyes from the back. Secondly, he tells us that each was given either an animal or a human-like appearance. For instance, we have the lion that reminds us of strength. We have the ox who renders service. 
The third is like the face of a man. We think about intelligence. And lastly, one has the appearance of a flying eagle, which renders the idea of speed. But the one thing, despite all of their differences, that each of these four living creatures have in common is this one thing. The Bible says they spend all day and all night praising God, crying out, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. And we are told later on in verse 9 that whenever these four living creatures will begin their all-night praise of God, that the 24 elders, and we remember who they are, they are symbolic in their representation, they represent the individuals who are the redeemed, you and me, that they fall down on their knees and they cast their crowns of victory at the feet of him who sits on the throne. And we are told that the reason why they do this is because they recognize that their victory was not of their own strength, power, or ability, but they recognize that their victory is because of the victory of Christ who died on the cross and who was raised from the grave. And folk, I cannot tell you that I believe that when you and I see God face to face, he's going to put on us white robes which represent righteousness and victory and triumph, but he's also going to give us a crown. The crown is called the Stephanos. It is the crown of victory. And I don't believe for a moment that we're going to be standing around looking in the mirror admiring that crown. Oh, that's such a nice crown. I believe that as soon as he places those crowns on our head, we'll quickly take them off and lay them at his feet. Amen? And by doing so, we're saying, I'm not here. I've not been saved based on my works, my intelligence, my righteousness. My salvation is because of Christ and Christ alone. That is the foundation of the gospel. Better yet, that is the gospel. As Paul says, we have been saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. It is the gift of God and nobody has the right to boast. But please don't miss what is going on here. We've got the four living creatures praising God and the 24 elders bowing at the feet of God. And this is what we need to understand in this scene here. For God is giving us a picture of what pure, genuine worship is all about. For worship, true worship, is when the people of God, number one, remember what God has done, and number two, are willing to celebrate what God has done. And because we've all been saved by grace through faith in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we should all then be willing to praise God. And not just merely with our lips, but with our lives. What did the Apostle Paul say when it comes to worship? Therefore, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, Whatever you do, do it all to glorify God. In other words, worship is when you and I use our God-given power of choice 
not to bring dishonor to God, but to bring honor to God. And we bring honor to God by the way we live our lives. So worship, true, genuine worship, transcends what we're doing right here and right now. If your only worship of God and my only worship of God is confined to what we're doing in the house of God, it really isn't worship. True worship is a lifestyle. It is how we give God the glory. And that word glory in the Greek translation means weight. It means that I have the impression of the weight of God on me so that when you look at me, you can see God in me. That's what true worship is. And John says it is these four angelic-like creatures that extend to him the invitation to come and see what takes place as the first four seals of the scroll are now being opened. The scroll, if you remember, by the way, in Revelation 10, verse 7, simply contains the mystery of God. And when John talks about the mystery of God, he's talking about God's purpose in saving fallen humanity. A mystery that is now being unfolded, that is now being revealed right before our very eyes. And with the opening of each of these first four scrolls, we are given insights into the impact of the spreading of the gospel on the world as it is accepted as well as it is being rejected. And if you remember, we are shown first the white horse, which represents how the word of God in the early first century was populated and people really proclaimed the word of God and accepted the word of God. And thousands, we are told in the book of Acts, were baptized in one day. Then we are shown the red horse, which is symbolic, if you remember, of the opposition to the gospel. Then the third horse, the black horse, represents, as Revelation 6, verse 5 and 6 tells us, it is symbolic of the famine of the word of God. In other words, the word of God starts off being proclaimed with power, and then it is opposed, and then the word of God transitions into being a famine in the land, a spiritual famine. And then lastly, the pale horse, horse number four, represents spiritual death, because if you do not eat, you will eventually do what? Die. You can be spiritually dead and still be doing all the religious or church-like things. I asked the members at the first service, have they ever seen a dead body? I'm not talking about at a funeral, but I'm talking about someone that has died in the last couple of minutes. Those of us as pastors, if you go to the hospital from time to time, we've had that kind of encounter. As a matter of fact, we have seen individuals take their last breath, and it is a haunting sight indeed. But when you see a person who has just recently expired laying there, if you did not know that they were deceased, you would swear they were asleep. Why? Because they had the form of life. They had the appearance of someone who was alive, but yet because there is no spirit or breath within them, they are dead. So, so you and I can be, be physically alive, physically involved in the church, 
in this ministry and that ministry, but have spiritual death. For where there is no spirit, there is no life. These four horses not only depict the condition and the stages of the church throughout all the ages, but they also depict the individual believers walk with God. Let me show you what I mean by that. The first horse represents how the gospel went out with power, and that's how you and I were when we first accepted the gospel. Do you remember that? Some of you may have grown up in the church, and this is all you know. But some of us accepted the gospel. We were all excited. We were going to change the world by the preaching of the gospel. But then opposition came in. Opposition from the world, getting caught up in the ideology of the world. Opposition from the enemy, for the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And the greatest opposition that I believe that you and I face on a day-to-day basis is the opposition that we encounter from having to deal with this sinful flesh. Because everywhere you and I go, the sinful flesh goes with us. We cannot escape it for one minute. Then we've got the spiritual famine that comes in. And the spiritual famine is simply the result of us not being in the word of God or being in prayer. We want to be all about prayer here, but the spiritual famine comes in when we're so busy, tied up in other things that we cease to have time for God. And finally, the last stage, we experience spiritual death, meaning, yes, we got the form of being alive. We've got the form of religiosity, but there is no spirit in us. I've gone to some churches where they are just as dead as the hills of Gaboa. So dead that you could slide up and down the aisles. No life at all. But here's the elephant in the room that we as a church don't like dealing with, except for the younger generation, the young adults. You guys have no problem dealing with this. If you don't get anything else from this sermon, you remember this. If the gospel is really the good news, then why do people reject it? I already know what you're thinking. Well, pastor, you know, it's because of the condition that the world is in and and humankind is is, is fallen and and self-centered. Now, I get all of that, and that is true. But I've got something else for you to consider today. Instead of us using as the reason why the gospel is being rejected, saying it's the world's fault, why don't we consider us for a moment? Could it be that what the world is looking for is not a gospel that is right, but a gospel that is real? And by real, this is what I mean. They want to know why hasn't the gospel that you say it is good news, change your life. I mean, if you see something that somebody else has is good, don't you want some of that? So is it really the world's fault that they're rejecting the gospel because we're trying to show them who's right? Or is it our fault because we're not showing them what's real? You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Darkest Before the Dawn. 
And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. Man, when I think about WGTS, I think about family. And uh, WGTS lifts me up. The whole crew has truly been a blessing in my life. And um, I'm forever grateful for WGTS and what they do for myself and for the community. Your support makes a difference. I always uh, encourage people. Like, you want to listen to something, be encouraged when you're going through a tough time. Starting 91.9, they'll definitely uplift your spirits. And uh, especially in the trying time we're in right now in society. Working together to impact the nation's capital. And I am forever grateful for for the WGPS family because that's exactly what it is, family. And we get to be a part of that as listeners, which is is amazing. Listener funded, WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. At 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life. And this week, Charles Tapp shares the final part in this series of messages on the book of Revelation and reveals that when it seems as though all hope is lost, there is hope on the horizon. As he concludes his message, darkest before the dawn. Our youngest daughter, Victoria, this child can make a meal out of anything. She has this special dish. I don't even know what she calls it. She just takes a paper plate and gets some tortilla chips and she throws some cheese on top of that and she throws some other stuff on top of that and and then she puts it in the microwave for about 30 seconds and it melts it all together. Then she puts some sauce on top of that and you know she got to put ketchup on it. Amen. You know, you know, you know she got to put ketchup on that. And then she douses it in ketchup. And then she walks by me like this. And I'm saying, hey, Vic, why don't you give your father some of that? And she'll tell me, why don't you go make your own? And I remind her who's paying the phone. No, I'm just. And she'll give me some of that, and I go, mmm, that is good. And I take so much to the point, she'll say, here, just take it, Daddy, just take it. You can have it. And I knew she was going to do that's why I did it. But when you see somebody that has something good, and they're taking it in, and they're showing you, this is good. Don't you want some of that? So is it really the world's fault that the gospel is being rejected? Or could it be that we're so busy trying to show the world who's right that we're not showing them what's real? And I submit to you today that if the world really saw the gospel in you and me like it should, there would be less rejection of the gospel. But now as we continue our journey, I want us to go to Revelation chapter 6 again, but now I want us to look at verses 9 through 11, and this is where we'll spend the rest of our time today. We begin to look now at the opening of the fifth seal of the scroll. When he opened the fifth seal, I, John speaking here, saw under the altar of the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. John here is talking about martyrdom. He's talking about those whose lives were taken because of their faithfulness to the gospel. And they, talking about the martyrs, cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord? 
holy and true until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Verse 11. Then what kind of robe? A white robe was given to each of them and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. As you can see, the horses we saw in the opening of the first four seals are no more. But now we see what some might consider to be the most eerie of all the scenes of Revelation thus far. And let's be clear here that John is not referring to actual living souls. Matter of fact, the word soul in scripture refers to the whole person and not some spirit that, that lives after one dies. And we know about the state of the dead because Ecclesiastes 9 tells us that the dead know not what? Anything. So what is John talking about here? Again, as we have seen throughout this journey in the book of Revelation, we discover that Revelation uses quite a bit of the New Testament, the, the writings of Paul, the words of Jesus, and especially the Old Testament imagery to make a point. And here in this scene, we see the martyrs, those being slain because of their faithfulness to the gospel under the altar alluded to the sacrificial blood which was poured out at the base of the altar of sacrifice in the sanctuary system of Exodus 27, Leviticus 4, and Leviticus 8. But please don't miss this. Using the symbolism drawn from the Old Testament sacrificial system, John describes here God's faithful people that have been sacrificed as martyr as their blood, which is symbolic of life, is being poured out as an offering to God. In other words, this scene that John sees depicted here represents the cries of God's people throughout the ages for justice. Let's go to the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Verse 1, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw as he cries out, O Lord, how long shall I cry? and you will not hear. Even cry out to you what? Violence, and you will not save. In other words, he's saying, God, we're getting beat up on every side by our enemies, and you are nowhere to be found. He goes on. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence, he says, are before me. There is no strife and contention arises. Therefore, he says, your law is what? Powerless. Please don't miss this. He's not really telling God that his law is powerless. Habakkuk is being very frank with God. And he's saying to God, God, you are powerless. And why do I say that? Because we know that God's law is synonymous with his what? Character. So he's attacking the very character of God. And in the common vernacular, this is the way Habakkuk would read in 2019. God, why aren't you acting like God? 
And that's the same cry that you and I give from time to time when we go to God with our issues. Isn't that what we're saying to God? God, I need you in this very moment to act like God. And how do we expect God to act? I mean, honestly, when we go to God with our troubles and our challenges, how do we expect God to act? I expect God to to come riding in on a white horse and save the day. Amen? Isn't that why you pray? Stop being right today and be real. I expect God to come in and go, I'm here now. But Habakkuk is saying, God, our enemies are beating us up. We're being attacked on every side and you're not acting like we expect you to. And because of that, the wicked surround the righteous Therefore, perverse judgments do what? Proceed. In other words, he's saying we're not getting any what? Justice. And justice in the mind of the Christian and in the unchristian alike pretty much means this. That when my oppressor is beating me up, I want to know when he or she is going to get theirs. That's what we call justice. In other words, when is my oppressor going to get what's coming to them? For justice is a basic moral principle that helps not only to govern the people, justice also is this moral principle that helps to protect a people. And everybody in every segment of life wants justice. We want justice from our government, We want justice from our laws. We want justice on the playgrounds. We want justice in our businesses. We want justice in the classroom. Every student wants what he or she deserves. They want that grade, amen? So the saints crying from under the altar, symbolic of those who have the cry for justice all throughout the ages for being faithful. And it appears to them that God isn't being God. Then he says later, verse 11, don't worry about them. I've got them just like I've got you. What I hear God saying to his people today is this. Listen, there will be times when it appears as though there's no justice for you. But stop worrying about the oppressor. Focus on what I am doing for you. We're so worried about our enemies getting what we feel they should deserve. God says to us, don't worry about them getting what they deserve. I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. You ever had a situation you thought was hopeless? And then there was a knock at the door. You're about to throw in the towel, throw up your hands. Darkness was all around you, but then God shed his light in on you. It's always darkest before the dawn. Have you ever seen the dawn? It's that part that comes right after the darkest part of the night. In other words, scripture puts it this way, weeping endures for a night, but joy comes when? In the morning. And God says, here's some white robes as a down payment for your suffering. Here's a crown for your suffering because you have been redeemed. And here's the message of Revelation. If I had to sum up Revelation in one sentence, 
It is the message that God is saying, I'm a faithful God to my word, and I'm a faithful God to my people. And all God asks of you and me is that we be faithful to him. That's our worshipful response. God is faithful. He's got you. He's got me. He is faithful to his people. He is faithful to his word. Who says amen to that today? You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Darkest Before the Dawn. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. I choose to trust God for what he has promised me as if I already had it right now. It's not easy to be thankful when you're in the midst of trials. And next week, Charles Tapp will share that living by faith is more about having hope for the future than fixing your current circumstances. As he begins a new three-part series, we've come this far by faith with part one, A Walk of Faith. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life. Man, when I think about WGTS, I think about family, and uh, WGTS lifts me up. The whole crew has truly been a blessing in my life, and um, I'm forever grateful for WGTS and what they do for myself and for the community. support makes a difference. I always uh, encourage people, like, you want to listen to something, be encouraged when you're going through a tough time, starting 91.9, they are definitely up with the spirits. And uh, especially in the trying time we're in right now in society. Working together to impact the nation's capital. And I am forever grateful for for the WGPS family because that's exactly what it is, family. And we get to be a part of that as listeners, which is is amazing. Listener funded. WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. At 88.3 on the Eastern Shore.